You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Nomagaro George. That's my co-host, Damian Bartonek. And today, we're finally returning from a three-week hiatus following my trip to Las Vegas Summer League. Not gonna lie, it feels great to be back on the mic with you, Dame. How have you been, man? I've been I've been doing well, man. I'm uh, I'm very busy, right? Working at Ken's Five, right? I'm I'm <laughs> I'm always on the move. I'm always going, right? Working 50, 55 hours a week. Uh, the writing has slowed down for me considerably, but I am very grateful for everything that's been coming my way in life. And whatever happens, Noah, for me, one thing, whether it's win, lose, or draw, whether I succeed or fail, the effort has always been there for me, and I'm just very grateful to be in a position that I'm in right now. Still have a long way to go, you know, mentally. Every day's a battle, right? But we're here, we're alive, we're breathing, we're talking Spurs, so I don't know how much I can complain, man. (laughs) No, I feel the same way, man. It's a grind every single day. I think I've been busy, and then I look at you, and I know you've been working, not just uh, with Ken's, you're working your normal job, you're also writing, you're podcasting (laughs) with me, and you're not just writing about the Spurs, you also write about the Washington Commanders for Hogs Haven, so I know you're a busy dude. But before we dive into the actual content today, I wanted to keep our listeners in the loop. Let them know we're recording this at about 2.45 p.m. on July 18th. But let's go ahead and get things started with a Spurs Summer League review. Even though San Antonio went 1-4 and four in Las Vegas, wins and losses, you know this, they don't really matter at this event. And in the grand scheme of things, it's really about the development, what these players are showing in individual performances. And I think we got a really good chance to just watch the next generation of San Antonio Spurs in action, or at least I did. I saw it in person. I'm sure you saw some of the games over the TV. So just keeping all that information in mind, why don't we go ahead and go down the line, talk about what we liked, maybe what we didn't like so much from each of the big prospects, you know, the main guys. We're not going to go over every single player. There's just too many of them. But let's go over the big players, starting with, Josh Primo. So, Dame, what did you like from Josh Primo? I know he didn't get to play the entire summer league because of COVID, but what were some of the things you liked from him? And maybe what are some of the things you didn't really care for that you saw from him in Las Vegas? For me, it was a pretty rough summer league for Josh Primo. I think in general, we all knew he was a really raw player, right? But he's definitely not where, like, hypothetically, you expected him to, you know, need time, right? He's still there. He still needs plenty of time. <laughs> Even with the ball in his hands, right, you expect him to potentially be like a three-level creator, someone that in time, uh, you know, can actually bend a defense, have a little bit of gravity on the ball, and it's just not there. I don't think there's any any foundation for that yet. We maybe, you know, we've, we, we we're looking at houses right now, right? We, we, want, we want to buy a new home. There's no foundation, right? There, it's just not, it's not there. They haven't broke ground. So I think right now Primo needs a little bit of time. He needs some seasoning. I did enjoy watching him shoot the basketball from deep in particular, just from deep. I shot 50% from beyond the arc, which is really interesting, <laughs> Noah, because when it comes to all these players like Malachi or like Blake Wesley, bro, their field goal percentage was just so low. But then from three, they're shooting, what, <laughs> Noah, like 57%, 40%. Like, it was nuts. But uh, in general, man, I think from for Primo, the shooting is what I really was you know, encouraged by. I think we all knew he could be really good off the ball as a shooter especially. But on the ball is where, I know I've told you on, off the air, where the sausage is made. And that's really what's going to you know, determine you know, Primo's success at the next level, in my opinion, in terms of like where his ceiling is going to be. 
as if he can create on the ball. And I think right now there isn't really many flashes of that. And that was my key takeaway was, okay, Primo still needs plenty of time. Yeah, he really just struggled creating separation. I mean, that's something that we saw at last summer league. We saw it during the G League. We saw it during the NBA season and his rookie season. And I think going to Las Vegas, I really expected to see maybe some additional burst, uh, maybe some added strength. Uh, maybe his dribble package was a, a little bit more dynamic because we, we watch him play a lot. And this is a guy who loves to dribble the basketball. And, and that's that's fine. But I did find myself going, he's dribbling a lot, but he's not really going anywhere. He's not losing his man. He's not creating separation. He's not generating space. He took a lot of really tough mid-range jumpers, especially out of the pick and roll. One of 11 on jumpers out of the pick and roll at Summer League. And I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, he did have end up contracting COVID and he missed the rest of Summer League. But to be honest, it just kind of looked like the same exact guy that we saw at last year's Summer League. And for me, the number one thing that stood out aside from the inability to create space was the coaching staff, whereas I expected them to say, all right, this is the Josh Primo show. This is your second year. You're going to get to run all the on-ball reps. You're going to get to do what you want. He really was relegated to this off-ball role, which you mentioned. I mean, he shot 50% from three, really good from spot up, but really didn't assert himself that much. Pretty passive, and it was almost like it was by design. I mean, we saw Blake Wesley with the ball in his hands a ton, so I don't want to say it was disappointing from Josh Primo because I think that's unfair for a 19-year-old guy who probably, you know, he has a ton of things to work out in his game, but underwhelming, I would say, from Josh Primo, the, the two or three games that we got out of him. Underwhelming is definitely a good way to describe it. I think I'm I'm personally done with what I have to say about Primo because the next guy I kind of took a little bit more away from in Malachi Branham. Noah, for me, the big thing that I was worried about was really the the limitations, he, in my opinion, that he that he had as an athlete. I think those were kind of on display in at the summer league level. And it worries me a little bit, not because I don't think he'll be a good player, but because... Typically for me and with a lot of people, a lot of people equate upside and athleticism, right? If you're a great athlete, you have so much upside. That's not necessarily the case, but at the NBA level, you need to have some sort of athletic ability, something that kind of makes it different if you're going to be a primary scorer, right? If that's going to be your, your main skill set, that's, that's the entree of your game, right? And Branham just doesn't really have that. So you can learn to do it in other ways, right? You can learn how to play, you know, master playing with pace or, you know, be very, you know, have excellent footwork and, and all these other things. You can have those, 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 you know, those abilities and that can kind of separate you and kind of make up for, you know, what you don't have athletically. But no, I, I don't want to read too much into it, but it's a little discouraging to see him kind of struggle to take advantage of lesser competition like you know what was that at the summer league and not really pop like you would expect right because we're going to talk about Blake Wesley later and trust me it's he's fun to watch right the numbers <laughs> aren't very good but he's fun to watch and you see kind of some a little bit of a, a, a little foundation there right with Branham it was kind of hit or miss a little bit so I think for me the, the athletic limitations were kind of on on uh, on display but the shooting was very very good he's definitely comfortable just putting the orange thing in the orange thing. Really, the, the issue is, can he actually, is he going to be able to athletically do that? Is he going to be able just in general to get to his spot at the next level? We'll see. Yeah, I don't know if I was super worried about that, only for one real reason. When I was watching the game, so if you watched him at Ohio State, rather, sorry, you saw him there, right? Like, he got a ton mm -hmm. of pick and roll reps. That was his bread and butter. 
was, I think, in the 92nd or 93rd percentile as a pick-and-roll scorer in terms of his efficiency out of the pick-and-roll. And during Summer League, he got five pick-and-roll possessions as a ball handler. Five. Only three of them resulted in a shot. One of them resulted in a turnover. Another resulted in an assist. For a guy who, as we've already talked about, not a great athlete, probably just an average to slightly below average athlete, not just in terms of straight line speed, but also his ability to lift off the ground, especially in a crowd. You're not really doing him a lot of services, not getting him the ball in a position where he already knows he can thrive, right? So I felt like if anybody was going to struggle at Summer League, it was probably going to be Malachi, especially because we didn't really see him in an off-ball role at Ohio State. And we like to see maybe some more pick and roll possessions. I mean, that was something that I had tweeted about, I had talked about, I had written about. Like, it just feels like if this guy thrives out of the pick and roll, try to figure that out for him. You know, get him some of those reps, force feed him. I don't care. You know, he's one of your, he was your highest first round pick at Summer League, obviously, because Jeremy Sohan did not play. He was out because of COVID as well. And we'll get into that later. But in terms of his athletic limitations, defensively, we knew that it was going to be a struggle. I did not realize it was going to be this much of a struggle. He looked really, really bad defensively at Summer League, out of place, late on rotations, continuing to stand upright, and he just doesn't have the foot speed, lateral mobility to recover back into plays, and he didn't always make that second or third effort to recover back into plays, and look, if his offense isn't going to outweigh his defensive shortcomings, and we've talked about this on other podcasts, how valuable can he be? So I have questions about him. The spot up shooting was great. As you mentioned, 55% on spot up threes, 86th percentile at summer league. That's really promising, but you didn't draft Malachi Branham to be a spot up shooter. You probably thought of him more as a secondary ball handler, a guy who can give you some juice off the bench. And right now there are some legitimate questions about that. I'm not going to say I'm out on that. I just think there's still questions to be answered and we're probably going to have to wait until it's a more structured setting in the NBA, in the G League, as opposed to this chaotic sort of atmosphere that Summer League kind of just brings. Yeah, and I love the the point about the pick-and-roll stuff because another guy in San Antonio that we saw that wasn't a great NBA athlete but was exceptional in the pick-and-roll was Derek White, right? Derek White wasn't a fantastic athlete by any means, right? Uh, and, and compared to you know the NBA level, obviously compared to me, Derek White blow me out of the water. <laughs> but but you know at the NBA level, you know th- those pick and roll reps, especially just out of the pick and roll, can get you so many easy looks. Especially if you're athletic limited, right? Uh, and and in the modern NBA, the Spurs run pick and roll the most, right? So like I would love to kind of see him in that role. And I think at the at the actual NBA level, I would imagine Noah they would give him more reps. But it's kind of like. It kind of doesn't make sense because you'd be like, well, you would think in the summer league when there's nothing to play for, why not, right? What is there to lose? But it's just very interesting. I, I does that at all worry you about how they kind of envision it, like what his role will be, or because I just it doesn't really make sense that they didn't do that. You know, like I, I don't know. Doesn't worry me too much just because you look at the pace and they don't actually keep track of it on NBA, you know, dot com like they do for regular season and preseason and some G League games. They keep track of pace. But you can tell, like, when you're watching these summer league games, it's such a frenetic pace. A lot of it is kind of like, okay, you're running some basic sets, but a lot of it is just impromptu offense or, all right, we're running in transition. Like, it's go, 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 go. And for a guy who we've talked about it, like, this dude, methodical, deliberate, he's getting to his spots, he's very patient. That is absolutely not in sync with what the summer league is all about. 
And I think that's the same reason we saw like a, a different prospect like Johnny Davis, obviously not on the Spurs, but he also very much struggled at Summer League. And I think it looks different in a completely different setting. Like these guys are not playing like you would in the NBA. So I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt for that reason. But again, there are some real questions with Malachi. Like I do want to see what he looks like against NBA athletes. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned Johnny Davis because a lot of my following is, uh, is <laughs> Commander's Twitter. And they're Wizards fans. Noah... Wizards Twitter, <laughs> like in the spare time I have to check Twitter, they are not happy with Johnny Davis's summer league performance. That's another discussion for another day. But one last one last point on Branham. I'm not comparing him to DeMar DeRozan because DeMar was is an exceptional athlete, but DeMar's also very patient. We know this. When it comes to just shot creation, uh, he's very technical, very polished. So if Brenham is, you know, isn't the athlete that you would need him to be to, you know, to be this exceptional kind of defense bending off the dribble presence. Like I mentioned, if he can just learn how to master playing with pace, that's all you really need, right? If, if, just to be successful, because you don't expect him to be Luka Doncic. But if you're if you're expecting him to be off the bench to create some offense for you off the dribble, that's all you really need. Just be patient. You know how to get to your spots. Just outthink your opponent. Really, that's all it is. It's more mental than physical. And I think you can make something happen. So I would love to see him operate within the, the Spurs structure and at the actual NBA level. I'd like to see kind of pop, you know, do his thing, work his magic there. But like I said, I, I, I would say it was underwhelming for me. But I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, man, that was a terrible pick. It's just, you know, at the summer league level, it's kind of really hard to gauge what you're looking for. So it's 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 kind of eh. I'm I'm I, I'm not too worried. But I'm not overly impressed either. Yeah, and if I could offer any words of encouragement for Spurs fans when it comes to Malachi is you look at what Coach Mitch Johnson was talking about in some of the press conferences and he described Malachi as this kid who really wants to play basketball the right way. He wants to prove to this coaching staff that he's unselfish. He's going to make the extra pass. He's not going to force shots up. And he did that, but it almost felt like he deferred too much, right? And even... Mitch was saying, like, I'm begging this guy to shoot the ball. You know, shoot it. Please shoot the ball. And if anything, like, that's encouraging to me because it's showing you that he's going to put the team first before anything else. But in a summer league setting, again, you would really like to see him just take charge, you know, be really decisive because it did seem at times that he was just like, I'm not sure if I should pass or if I should drive or if I should shoot. And he traveled like four or five times at summer league, which – like, that's not really a problem he had at Ohio State when he was confident he was the guy. And I'm not saying he lacks confidence, but I think he was a little indecisive playing with that much talent and just really trying to prove a point to the coaching staff. So I say the jury is out on him still. We don't we don't really know where he is. And of course, we're probably going to have to wait a few years before we figure out who he is. But Branham, at least out of the first round picks who played at Summer League, was the most efficient. Like, Josh Primo wasn't super efficient. Uh, and this next guy who we're talking about, Blake Wesley, was not very efficient either. So, Dame, what what did you like from him? What did you think about Blake Wesley? Because obviously there were some really good signs there, but I just wanted to get your first kind of takeaways from actually getting to see Blake Wesley in a Spurs uniform playing organized basketball. Yeah, I was hoping either you or whoever's getting the transition to Blake Wesley, I already knew what I was going to say. I was literally going to say, <laughs> you don't know who the complete opposite of that was in the Summer League was Blake Wesley. <laughs> Everything you just mentioned, Blake Wesley was the opposite. I, I love I love his, his willingness to get the ball, put the ball in his hands, and try to get a bucket. You're going to have a funny quote you're going to mention later uh, when we're, we're discussing Blake about what he said, you know, his role was, <laughs> right? But I did enjoy seeing 
something that we don't see in San Antonio often. That's someone that just says, give me the ball. I'm going to create. I'm going to look to get a bucket, right? We saw that pretty frequently. And to a fault, right? Because he had 14 shots blocked in, in the summer league. And I, I can't believe I just read that. You know what I mean? Like, that's a ton. That's that's the most so much. of anyone Shoot, at yeah, summer league, dude. Shooting thirty three percent at the rim, dude. That's the bottom fourth percentile. Like, yeah, I, I, he is as raw as we all expected, right? And when I dropped my mock draft for pounding the rock, I had the Spurs taking Bless Wake, uh, uh, Blake Wesley in one of my mocks, uh, and I mentioned, right? He's an exceptional athlete. I think everyone saw that. Uh, elite first step, very shifty, very fluid, a very solid athlete. Uh, I gotta mention it because every time I feel like I do comp to Dejounte Murray very frequently. And he kind of reminds you a little bit of that just with his pure kind of raw athletic traits. I would say Wesley has a, a little bit quicker first step. But I think when it comes to the uh, you know early DeJounte Murray's career, he was just as uh, as intense on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, I think Wesley is you know exceptional. He's a very high motor on the defensive end. And I think that's kind of what really stood out to me is the athletic tools that he has that he brings, his intensity on the defensive end of the floor, and his willingness to just create offense I think San Antonio, we've mentioned shot creation being an issue. Obviously, when we talk about shot creation, we mean not only for that player, but for others. But in this case, with a guy like Blake Wesley, let's just see if he can do it for himself. And he's comfortable. He's confident. There's a lot of things he can kind of get into. But it's, it's, it's a lot of like, you have raw ingredients. You have dry pasta. You have, you, have, you have sauce. You have chicken. But you need to make chicken parm. And right now, you don't have that. So that's kind of what I took away is you got the ingredients, but there's no meal just yet. Yeah, it was tough for Blake Wesley at Summer League. I mean, there were some really encouraging flashes. Like, he's a guy whose first step was... I mean, I thought it was elite when I watched it at Notre Dame. But it he looked even quicker to me out there than he did on tape. Like, he was a guy who got two feet in the paint whenever he wanted. He was legitimately bending defenses. There were extra guys coming to cut him off on his drives. The thing is... I don't think he's actually, and this is going to sound kind of weird, like I'm kind of explaining something away for him, and it is a flaw, but like, I don't think he's as bad of a finisher as his numbers say. I think he forces too many finishes. Like, he was a guy 100 miles per hour, I'm not changing pace, I'm going to beat you, I'm going to try to get to the rim. Sometimes he leaned too much into contact, and he oversold it, and you know, refs aren't blowing their whistles. He got to the line a good amount. But a lot of times it was, okay, Klanger right off the glass, did not even touch the rim. Or, again, like 14 shots blocked at Summer League, the most of any player at Summer League this year. He just needs to slow down a little bit. And I think that's something that DeJounte Murray got really good at, right? He played with some pace. He was able to be more patient. And I think you look at a guy like Malachi, or not Malachi Branham, uh, Blake Wesley, The number one thing I think he needs to do is, one, he needs to slow it down a little bit. He needs to learn how to – you know what I say when I I talk about like a Nash dribble where you go all the way under and you come right back out on the other end and you survey? He didn't do that ever. There was no survey dribble. There was no retreat dribbles. It was 100% all the time. He just needs to slow it down. He needs to figure out how to change gears. He needs to get stronger. He needs to get better with his offhand. And even Greg Popovich talked about it. He needs to develop a floater. Like, he only attempted one floater the entire time at Summer League. And there were a lot of times where it's like, okay, you've beat the first level of the defense, and you've got the, you know, rim protector, the guy in drop drop coverage is now retreating. You have space to put up a floater. But he almost never did. He almost, I'm taking it right to you. I don't care what happens. And I think, again, a lot of it is he's not a bad, I mean, he's not a good finisher, but he's not as bad as the numbers say. 
I think he was just over eager to get to the rim. And we saw him make some good passes, you know, live dribble, you know, skip passes. We saw him make passes down the baseline, drive and kick midair, wraparounds, dump offs. Like there was some really encouraging flashes. But the one thing he told me that I just like it, I'm still hanging on to it right now was I asked him after the first game, you know, you, you had a lot of on ball reps. You had a lot of touches. That's not really something that you were afforded at Notre Dame, you know, how do you feel about that? And he basically, what he said is, well, I'm a point guard. You know, I see myself as a point guard. <laughs> I, I'm not shoot first. I'm trying to get other people's people involved. I want to be aggressive, but it's get your teammates involved first, then shoot later. And I love him. I'm glad that he, he knows what to say, but I want to see that in practice. This is a guy who shot the second most shot attempts per game at Summer League, but had 30% field goal percentage. That was the worst field goal percentage of any player who took at least 13 shots per game. And there were a lot of players jacking up a ton of shots at summer league. He just, again, he's got to figure it out, slow the game down. And honestly, Dame, I don't know how you feel about this, but I would be fine if they sent him to the G league. Like I know that the Spurs are rebuilding, but it feels like the G league may be the best place for a guy who's still figuring out how to play the game correctly. Think about it and think about it like this too. A couple of points I want to, I want to touch on that you mentioned. First off, couldn't agree more with the floater point. I think the floater for the in the modern NBA, especially with how often teams run drop coverage, that's arguably the most important shot for a guard, in my opinion, is probably the floater. I think that really separates the the good pick and roll ball handlers from the great ones, the great ones from the elite ones, man. I mean, guys like John Morant, Trey Young, you know, uh, Darius Garland, right? These guys will make you pay at every level on the on the court. And that floater at that second level, right, that mid-level, it just it torches teams, Noah. And you're talking about, we mentioned before, um, with guys like DeJounte Murray in the past, potentially a guy like Malachi Branham, Blake Wesley now, if you have the ability to get to the free throw line, right, to get easy buckets, easy points, that matters so much, right? And a floater, an uncontested floater, essentially, is what you're going to be getting when you're running drop coverage. It just makes too much sense. I think that's so important. That was a great point. That's something that once he develops that, I think that can unlock a lot for his game personally. In terms of, of, of what else about Blake Wesley that I did like, though, I really, really like his overall. His, he, he may you know have that quote right where he's like, I'm a point guard. I'm pass first. I'm looking to get everyone involved, right? And I, I want to buy into that, right? And maybe his time in the G League will prove that. But I really think where the, where, what the Spurs need and what kind of where they're trending, if he never develops into being this pass first guard I don't even think that's a that's an issue I think what the Spurs need to worry about is just finding out what his role is going to be and if it's going to be a score first guard it's going to be a score first guard you live with it because he has a skill set that isn't currently present on this team his athletic ability seems to really kind of be put together a little bit more than a guy like Lonnie Walker who uh, just signed with the Lakers he seems like a different kind of athlete they're both exceptional but Lonnie's was was a little bit more like 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 chili in a pot right it only it's only takes to the form that's in that it's in and Blake Wesley has a little bit more structure to his. You know what I mean? So I think I think a guy like Blake Wesley, uh, an experience in the G League, could do a lot for him. And I know a lot of fans will be upset because they don't want that, right? They want to see him right now. Everyone wants right now, right now, right now. But patience is key. And when you're in a rebuild, you can't rush these things. So I think, uh, I think G League time for Blake Wesley would be very important. Absolutely. And then there's another guy who, just with the way that our rundown's written, this is another guy who is going to be in the G League, hands down. To me, there's no reason to rush him either. Dominic Barlow, they signed him to a two-way contract reportedly like right after the draft, and then they officially announced it like a few days into Summer League. 
He's a guy who I really liked. I had him, I believe, 53rd on my big board. He has the tools, unique fluidity. It can be a lob target, shoots the three ball a little bit, can put the ball on the floor a little bit, but he's not ready. You know, he, yeah. I, I thought he had some nice flashes just being really competitive with guys like James Wiseman, you know, former number two overall pick, Jabari Smith Jr., the guy who was the third overall pick this year. But you watch that last game against the Memphis Grizzlies, and I love this guy. This guy is, is, is going to be a good pro. But Kenneth Lofton Jr. absolutely took Dominic Barlow to school from the first tip to the final buzzer. I mean, it, it was barbecue every single time. Mm-hmm. Every single time. Bodied him. He had about four inches of, of a height disadvantage on a guy like Dominic Barlow. And he's moving him around like he, he it was effortless. And, it, and to me... Like, it's it's beyond just the frame for me. It's just the entire feel for the game. I just don't think Dominic Barlow is quite there yet, but the tools are intriguing. Dame, we'll talk more about him, or I'll, I'll talk more about him in a second, but what did you think of him? Did you get to see too much of him, and were, were you happy with what you saw? Do you think it's a good investment, that two-way, or do you think it could have been used better? No, I don't think you could be upset with what— cause, So the big deal with me with, with Dominic Barlow, I know that was a guy you really liked— what really intrigued me was he kind of fits that like modern kind of four kind of spot where he's versatile on both ends, can do a little bit of everything, right? Kind of like jack of all trades, master of none, you know, solid defender, kind of just like really just really good within a specific role. And I think that's that's valuable, right? The Spurs need that. But I think for me, I would I wouldn't mind if I'm a if I'm a Spurs fan seeing him in the G League either. I think that would be valuable for him as well. And you mentioned, right? He looks all, just like how in Primo I said, we're going to need some time. There's no foundation there. Yeah, same thing with Dominic Barlow, right? And we're not expecting him to be, you know, the, the, this next great player. But he, I mean, there's definitely something there in terms of looking at him, you know, long term that he can carve out a role for himself off the bench, right? I mean, it, it's, it's, we're talking about a team, a developmental team in, in San Antonio that has done a lot of, of great things. And I think for a guy like Dominic Barlow who has, has a skill set that, you know, you can be versatile on both ends. You can defend multiple positions. You can shoot a little bit, put the ball on the floor a little bit. Hey, I mean, there's opportunity there. And he's going to get it whether it's in Austin or San Antonio because neither neither of them are going to be competing. So I think it would be fine. <laughs> and I think I think giving him a two-way, man, I think it makes all the sense in the world. I mean, why not? I, I know there's one guy I was kind of shocked that the Darius Days thing was kind of interesting. I didn't think that was going to happen. We'll talk about it later. But... Dominic Barlow on a two-way, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it does, too. I mean, he's six foot ten. He can put the ball on the floor a little bit. He's pretty fluid running the open floor. Like, he's going to be a threat in transition, a lob threat in transition. He's a good spot-up three-point shooter. And I think overall, like, he wasn't great in Summer League, but I think because Sohan was obviously not there at Summer League, playing at Summer League, and the Spurs roster, at least at Summer League, was very small, he was sort of miscast as this traditional drop coverage like center. And I don't think he's yeah. actually a center. I think he's probably like a, a a power forward. I don't think he has a lot of position flex. I don't think he's going to be a bigger wing. I don't think he's going to be a center. I think he's really just a four, a guy who can be perimeter oriented. Like he looked really comfortable sliding his feet on the perimeter with bigger wings. He looked comfortable shooting shots, uh, you know, mid-range shots, little pick-and-pop shots. He didn't take any threes at Summer League, but that was something that he did a lot of with that overtime elite program. So I think his role was just kind of misplaced because of who was on the roster and who was available for the San Antonio Spurs there in Las Vegas. But I'm pretty comfortable saying that he will eventually get to a place where he will be a serviceable player, a good player. So 
just be patient. He's another one of those 19-year-olds, and he was undrafted. Like, the expectations here should be not low, because I'm not saying he won't be anything, but they should be low relative to, like, a guy who went in the first round or the second round. Like, just be patient with Dominic Barlow, because I think he he's not ready right now. He's just not ready. Yeah, and I mean, for example, in, relative to a guy like Jeremy Sohan, who the expectations should not be in the same galaxy, right? NASA just no. released that picture of, of, of that crazy picture out in space. Yeah, if we're right here, they need to be <laughs> somewhere over there. They shouldn't be close together. So, yeah, speaking of Sohan, you know, he's a guy that missed, you know, all of Summer League as a precaution, enter, you know, entering health and safety protocols before training camp. And, no, I was a little disappointed, man. I oh, liked man. Jeremy Sohan a lot <laughs> coming out. That was a guy that I always, you know, I, I mocked him as well. Of My first mock was Jeremy Sohan. I just felt like it, it made too much sense. And there's just so much to work with. I feel like he offers you so much. I, I'm really buying into the passing upside, the defensive, you know, versatility. I just think, and, and I don't know, Noah, I, every time I think of, like, modern fours, right, that, like, can do a little bit of everything, like, Thad Young is, like, the first guy I think of all the time. So I hope I'm not jinxing this, <laughs> but, like, literally, I just imagine, like, plus version of Thad Young. Like and I think that'd be fantastic for the Spurs. I think that'd be a great ninth overall pick, right? I know some people would be like, "What that young blah blah," but a guy that can do a little bit of everything for you and be versatile and can pass, like can be a hub for you as a playmaker, can score a little bit, put the ball on the floor, defend multiple positions. No, my mouth is watering. Like, man, that sounds that's like every every you know draft guy's dream is a guy that can do something like that. That's a non superstar. <laughs> Give me that all day. So. Uh, I'm really excited to watch Sohan, though, uh, in the preseason. Or hopefully if San Antonio has one of those uh, uh, scrimmages, again, like they had last year, I would love to uh, go out and see that because Primo was the star of the of the, of the the last scrimmage last year. Everyone loved him, and he played very well. He looked fantastic. So hopefully Sohan can take that uh, take those reins this year. Yeah. No, I'm really excited to see what he could do. I was super bummed. You know, I had booked my trip to Las Vegas. I got credentialed. I had the hotel and everything booked. And then, bam, like the day before, it's like, Jeremy Sohan is, you know, in health and safety protocols. He's got COVID-19. He's not playing. And they said that, you know, he was healthy and that he could have played. He cleared protocols in time to play, but they didn't want to rush him back. I understand. He was there at the practices. He was learning the playbook. He was taking part in the action during the practices. So we're going to have to wait a little bit longer to see him. Another guy who missed all of Summer League, Joe Wieskamp. It was the final practice right before Summer League started, stepped on a teammate's ankle, sprained his right ankle, was in a walking boot at the Las Vegas Aces game, and then, you know, he just didn't end up playing any game. So that was a little bit disappointing because I think out of all of these guys who we've talked about, you know, Bar Barlow, Sohan, Wesley, Primo, even a guy like um, Branham, like they're, they're going to have time to prove themselves. But I feel like out of all these young guys we just talked about, Joe Wieskamp probably had the most to prove. You know, he's a second-round pick. He's yeah. a little bit older. He's going to be 23 this year. He's coming off a year that, I mean, it was, I mean, I don't want to say it was disappointing or underwhelming or anything. I mean, he just didn't really get to play that much, right? He spent most of the year in the yeah. G League, and he got the scraps in the NBA when it was a blowout. Didn't matter. Those numbers are virtually useless. But just felt like he had the most to lose here. And I really would have loved to see him play. But we'll continue moving things on. We know that Pop in the front office signed Dominic Barlow to a two-way contract pretty early into Summer League. And that means they just have one more left. I mean, the roster is pretty much full at this point. And I thought there were a lot of guys who were standouts at Summer League. I thought, hey, these are guys who could probably earn that last spot. You mentioned him earlier. Darius Days. I, man, 
I was pretty disappointed. Like he was one of my favorite guys on that summer league roster. I'm happy for him that he signed with the Miami Heat. He's from Gainesville, Florida, so it's kind of like a hometown team reunion kind of thing. But Dame, I don't want to be too critical of the Spurs, but I just don't know how you let somebody like that who played really well at a position of need, I may add, just kind of like just walk, basically walk for nothing. Like it was tough to see him sign with another team. Yeah, he and he looked fantastic, man. I mean, like obviously I'm not saying he's Michael Jordan, right? But <laughs> no, he just looked so solid, like a little bit of everything you need, right? Saw 37.5% from deep. You know, 55.6% from the field. You know, like you said, nightly double-double, right? No matter what it is, it's a double-double. It's in and out, right? In and out, in and out, you know? Like, it, it was just, it was, I, I enjoyed watching him. And I mentioned how I like, how I think about the, the 6'7", like, modern forward, Thad Young. I'm just like, <laughs> Thad Young, again. Like, Thad Young, Thad Young, right there. You know, like, I, I oh, no, yeah. I, it was definitely a little disappointing because I felt like, that would just have been like the perfect addition for you, right? Because he could play right now. I think he could play for you yeah, right now and at the NBA level. Absolutely. I, I, yeah, I don't think there's any worry about that. And they let him walk, so <sighs> no, we don't. We don't get paid to uh, sign people, so I guess <laughs> I guess we can just leave it at that. <laughs> I mean, do, I mean, oh my, he was really just like the quintessential role player, the guy who yeah. you want on your team. Low usage, high efficiency. Makes everybody better. He just knows his role, plays it, doesn't complain. And to be honest with you, because I, I was able to to do the media thing credentialed in person in Las Vegas this year, they only had in-person media for the Spurs. And he was so, so friendly. Like, to be honest, my favorite guy out of all the guys. And I'm not saying I didn't like Malachi and I didn't like Wesley or any of the other guys we spoke to in person. But Darius Days just had this charisma about him. Really nice. Remembered our names. You know, dapped us up when he saw us, you know, shook our hands at the press conferences. And when the teammates were asked about him, they were like, oh, he's goofy. He's hilarious. We love him. He brings the locker room together. Like, I know that the Spurs aren't trying to win anything probably this year, but just feels like another addition that just would have been really nice. And we don't have to harp on it. We can move on. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think about DJ Stewart Jr.? I know the Spurs don't really need another guard, but I think yeah. he should be a candidate for this final two-way spot. Yeah, I think I think for me, you saw his just athletic tools as well. I think coming out, we all knew he was going to be a really good athlete. You know, moved well without the ball. There was a couple. I believe it was their final game. Was it yesterday or the day prior? I saw him make a couple spot up threes as well. I think in general, he's just a really solid player. They might not need another guard, uh, but I mean, like you mentioned, another two way spot. It makes it makes some sense there as well. I, I think for a guy like like DJ Stewart, the athleticism is what really stood out to me above all. But I, I think I think that's kind of all I could really take from it because I don't think he's someone that, you know, projecting, you could say, oh, it's not like a Darius Days where you watch him, you're like, hey, this guy has a little bit of something that you can kind of envision him seeing, you know, seeing him play right now, right, for the Spurs in October. For a guy like DJ Stewart, it's probably not likely, but, I mean, hey, it's a two-way spot, and who knows? Yeah, DJ Stewart was a guy who stood out to me, and I agree, his athleticism was pretty I mean it stood out I mean it stood out among a lot of the other guys who were there and all these guys at summer league are young they're good athletes but he stood out in that aspect I just felt like he's another one of those guys who you can see just playing a role as again low usage high efficiency he moved well without the ball he relocated he used screens he cut to get open rarely just stood around waiting for something to happen for him and he was a good uh, spot up shooter I mean it was limited attempts I think he was something like seven of nine on his spot up threes but 
you know, you can't fault him for the small sample size. He did exactly what you want somebody to do when the ball was in his hands. Spot up well, attack closeouts. He was able to kick it off of drives. He moved the ball well. Like, just makes the extra pass unselfish. He feels like a role player. The Spurs don't really need a role player at the two. And I think for that reason, he's probably off my list of guys who they should bring in with the two-way. He should be in consideration. I think there will be better options. We'll move on to Robert Woodard, who I think had a really, really, really rough time at Summer League. Like We had watched him play with the, with the G League team a few years ago when the Sacramento Kings flex assigned him to the Austin Spurs because they didn't send anybody that G League bubble. And he looked pretty good, but he just was not great. I mean, I don't, I don't know how else to say it, but offensively, it was kind of a train wreck. So I'll ask you, what did you see from him? And, and of course, we'll hit on the positives in a minute, but what did you see from him, if anything, that you liked? Yeah, so shout out to Devin, pounding the rock rider. I don't know if you remember this, Noah, but in the 2020 draft, Robert Woodard was like his guy. That was like the guy he wanted the Spurs to get in the second round. <laughs> and he was an exceptional shooter, right, at the collegiate level, his final year at least. I mean, it was limited attempts, only like two and a half attempts a game, I believe. But, you know, shooting 42% uh, from deep. In, in in Vegas, he was only shooting 20. He only made 24% of his attempts in general. Like, I don't know where the drop-off happened or what, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what where it went. Where did the shooting go? I don't know. But all I know is that he's versatile. He was the guy that coming out, I thought, you know, defensively, you'd see a lot. And you did you did see a little bit of flash there. I mean, uh, he held, you know, his assignments to 18% shooting. That ranked in the 97 percentile. So he's obviously versatile defensively, right? But offensively, is he is he going to be that good at the NBA or the G League level that it outweighs his offensive, you know, you know, uh, you know, missteppings? Like who knows, right? But I think Robert Wood is a guy. If you're going to offer him, you know, a, a two way or whatever the case may be with with that, it makes sense as well. Like you mentioned, position of need. He's someone that you could use uh, potentially at the NBA level with some proper development. But I think right now, man. I, offensively is what really worried me. And I'm an offensive-minded guy, Noah. Like, I might be a little biased there. Like, my favorite <laughs> player in the league, the best player in the league to me is Luka Doncic, right? It's the way I like basketball, you know? So I could be a little bit too offensive-minded and my bias is showing. But, yeah, I just think uh, I think there's, there's something to, to like there, but I can't take too much away from it. Yeah, it was really rough. You know, besides shooting 24.3% in Vegas, he also only shot, like, 17.3% from three on spot-up attempts. Like, he's a guy who... You can see there's a little bit of ball handling. He had this one really beautiful possession where he attacked a hard closeout, which I was confused about because if you know anything about Robert Woodard, he hasn't shot well since he was in college. So there was no reason for the closeout. But regardless, he sees the hard closeout. He puts the ball on the floor. A help defender rotates over. He gives him a spin move off of their shoulder, finishes right at the rim. And it's like, for a guy who's about 6'8", 220-something pounds, you know, legitimate 3'4", you know, combo forward, that's an impressive move. But it was just... There's not enough of those flashes. You know, he wasn't knocking down open shots. He wasn't shooting well off the dribble. He forced a lot of tough shots. And the one thing that really stood out above all was he only finished 23% of his shots at the rim. Granted, on really, really low volume, but that's just not good. Like, I don't expect it to be that bad. It wasn't that bad in the G League. It wasn't that bad in limited sample size in the NBA. But for a guy who you mentioned, I mean, clearly there's some defensive versatility. Really strong can wall off drives, got good length, can be disruptive, but I'm just not sure the defense is going to be versatile enough that he's guarding, you know, one, two, five. Like, he's probably only going yeah. to guard threes and fours. And does that make up for his 
I mean, not to be rude, but kind of a, an utter lack of offensive game right now because, you know, you saw his 42% shooting in his final year at Mississippi State. And one of the things that is really hard to translate for guys who have a slower shooting motion is that accuracy. You know, we saw it with Joe Wieskamp, and we'll talk about him in a minute. But when you get to the NBA, guys are longer, they're faster, they're smarter. You're not going to have the luxury of being able to have a slow load up unless you are strictly a spot up shooter and nobody's covering you. And if at that point, if no one's covering you, it's because you're not a good shooter. So it's going to be tough for Robert Woodard. We won't continue to pile on to him. I don't think he's the guy who should be the final two-way. Jordan Hall, actually, in my opinion, was the guy who I thought was the front runner to get it. I mean, he was, I think, 40-something on my big board. I don't have the exact number in front of me. 6'8", point forward, shoots the ball well, plays good defense. To me, that was like, hey, no-brainer. Like, the Spurs need more playmakers. They can use more defenders. They could use more shooters. This guy's 20 years old. Why not? And Dame, again, like, kind of the theme with a lot of these guys just didn't really live up to the billing. Like, it's not that he was awful for every yeah. minute he was out there, but just wasn't great either. Yeah, and I, th- I remember, uh, it was I think it was when we had Benjamin Bornstein on, I believe. We talked about Jordan Hall a little bit, and I talked about a little bit of Kyle Anderson, right? I was like, I, I kind of see it a little bit, right? I like that kind of jumbo playmaker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that role is another thing the Spurs don't have that they could use. Like you mentioned, they could use playmaking. And especially from that kind of that, that four spot, three, four, he, he's kind of like a little tweener to me. I really thought, no, you could see something there. But it just wasn't. It, there was just nothing, right? Like respectfully, of course. Like there wasn't anything I could really like, cling on to and be like, hey, Maybe that was it, right? I thought Jordan Hall was going to be a guy that we would see. I think he, I thought he was actually going to be kind of a star for the Spurs, and uh, not like for the NBA Spurs, but for the summer league Spurs. And, yeah, yeah. And it, it just it wasn't there for me, Noah. I mean, maybe, maybe you know he was just kind of in a, in, a, in a tough spot, you know, guarding you know front court players and you know some smaller guards or something like that. But he just really couldn't hold his own with whatever came his way. It seemed so. I don't know. Maybe he maybe he had a bad week. You know his diet was wrong or in Las Vegas or something. I don't know, but it just it wasn't too pretty. Yeah, it was really tough with him and just being there in person and kind of trying to get a good perspective of okay, is this guy playing in an ideal role? No, I would say actually of everybody on the summer league roster aside from Primo, he probably had the toughest job because at St. Joseph's he was a point guard. You know I keep calling him a point forward because of his size and he can play the forward positions, but. He really is a natural point guard. He's best with the ball in his hands, and they don't have the usage rates or anything like that available for Summer League. But if you had to guess, it would be really, really, really low. I mean, he almost never had the ball in his hands, almost exclusively off ball. He was stationed in the corners. He was asked to be a cutter, wasn't a great cutter, didn't hit the three ball very well, which is surprising because he was actually a pretty good shooter at St. Joe's. I think he, or Joseph's rather, he shot about 36 or 37% in both seasons. So just didn't shoot the ball well, looked awkward when the ball wasn't in his hands. And then the, those few opportunities he did have the ball in his hands, it just, there wasn't any magic being made. There were a lot of turnovers, a lot of miscommunications with teammates. And it just felt like this perfect storm, or I guess imperfect storm for him to be bad. And I think that's why he wasn't so good at summer league just because he was playing a really tough role. And as you mentioned, like he's a guy who's probably best suited guarding, you know, three, four. And too often he was playing like power forward out there guarding four five. And then when Malachi or if Wesley were not on the floor, they said, okay, you know, once Josh Primo went down, they said, okay, twos and ones (laughs) go guard twos and ones. And they blew by him like every possession (laughs) and just 
I and again, I don't I don't love making excuses for guys, but I think he has genuine explanations for why he wasn't good. And so for me, I think he should still be a candidate to get that spot. But clearly the Spurs staff, and I don't want to speak too much on their behalf, but it did seem like they lost confidence in him. He played less minutes every, you know, following game. It just didn't work out for him. Maybe, maybe they bring him yeah. back. Maybe they figure something out. And, and this leaves us with our last guy, Joe Wieskamp, who Joe Wieskamp. did not play uh. a single minute of summer league basketball because of that ankle sprain. And for me, in some ways it was a, a curse because he had a lot to prove, but in some ways it was a blessing because he's still a question mark, right? He didn't get to prove whether he made yep. strides as a shooter, as a defender. And so Dame, my question to you is, would he still be the guy to give it to? Because I ran a poll on Spurs Twitter right now. He's the overwhelming favorite. He's like 52% yeah. of the votes think that he should be the guy who gets the final two way. So, I'll ask you, are you part of the crowd who thinks he should get the final two-way? Or do you think you've seen enough from Joe Wieskamp after one year? I know that's a tough question. I don't want to put you in a, a, an awkward spot. Yeah. I think I think it's between him and Jordan Hall probably. The thing with Wieskamp, though, I just feel like that skill set is going to become a dinosaur. Like, I understand the shooting was is, was what you really wanted. But I think if you're unable to be at least a somewhat competent, just an average defender, right? I don't know how you play any significant minutes in the modern NBA. Duncan Robinson just got paid $90 million and didn't, and I almost saw the floor more than he did, right? Not to say, and, 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 and Duncan Robinson is much better than Joe Wieskamp, right? So that's why I'm like, I, I don't, I wouldn't mind going with, if I was San Antonio, going with Jordan Hall because I think there's something that he can offer that, in my opinion, is just as valuable, if not more valuable, right? I, I like the jumbo playmaking, you know, upside. I like the defensive upside there. I think it's just a little bit more versatile, and I think he can offer something. Like shooting, in my opinion, is a dime a dozen in the modern NBA. Jumbo playmaking, defensive versatility, I think that's more important right now, just in my opinion. At the same time, I know it sounds like I'm giving up on him, but I think if they did land with Wieskamp, they rolled with him again, that would make sense too because, you know, he shot, you know, he shot 34%, you know, uh, from threes, you know, across, you know, the 69 games of the NBA, G League, Summer League, you know, preseason games as a rookie. But if you're only shooting 34% and you're a big minus defender, why not just give it to the guy who can potentially be better than that in a multitude of other areas that are more valuable? You get what I'm saying? So, I don't know, Noah. It sounds like I'm hating on Joe Wieskamp. I'm not. I'm really not. I just think that... It's just uh, it's a, it's a tough spot to be in. Why couldn't Jordan Hall just tear it up and this wouldn't even be a conversation, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. It's like you either go with Darius Days, who obviously you can't anymore. Yeah. He's off the table. He's in South Beach now. He took his talents to South Beach. Exactly, yeah. And you've got potentially Jordan Hall, who makes sense from a positional standpoint, skills standpoint, but didn't play well. Mm -hmm. Or it's Joe Wieskamp. And again, like there's no real reason to give up on him yet. Like He was the 41st pick. It's not like he was god-awful, but he wasn't very good defensively, as you mentioned. Just guys blew by him, didn't slide his feet very well, got lost a little bit, doesn't offer a lot of positional versatility. He's not an event creator, um, not really a disruptor. There's just a lot of things that if you're not a guy who has tremendous shot versatility off-ball, say like a Duncan Robinson or a Doug McDermott, who is already on the roster— and you're also not knocking down shots at a high rate, like that 38, 39, 40% rate 
on high volume and you have a lot of gravity where, you know, guys have to know where you are. They can't leave you open. If they see you open, it's a hard closeout. You can attack the closeout. You can bend the defense a little bit in your own special way, even if you're not a ball handler. He just hasn't really shown that. And again, 34% on almost 300 attempts between NBA, G League, Summer League, and preseason. That's not like the end of the world, but I wanted to see more. And I was hoping we would get to see, you know, has he sped up his shot? Has he gotten better on the defensive end? And we don't. And he's a question mark. And I guess if you're the Spurs, you invested a pick in him. It makes sense to kind of run it back. You don't have anything to lose. But for me, once Joe Wieskamp is back, he has the most to prove out of all these young guys who we've talked about. Because everyone else has job security. You're a first-round pick. You're a two-way contract. You're 19 years old. You're 20 years old. Joe Wieskamp is going to be 23. That's not ancient in NBA terms, but... You have guys, you know, multiple all-star appearances, uh, you know, sixth men of the year, uh, all defense at, you know, 22, 23. He's trying to figure out how to carve out a role in the NBA. Can he do that? Can he do that for a a rebuilding team? And if he can't, I think at the end of the season, if he ends up getting that two-way, he's probably the first guy to go. So I'm rooting for Joe. I hope he shows more. I hope he sped up the shot. I hope he's a little more accurate. He has a little bit more shot versatility coming off screens, uh, you know, in transition, you know, running around the court, relocating. But we'll have to see because there just isn't anything right now that suggests that Joe Wieskamp is that dude who absolutely deserves it. But I think by default he may get it, and I'm hoping he gets a chance to prove it. Now, we'll move on again. We spent a lot of time talking about the two-way guys, and we can talk about some of the more significant things to happen because Las Vegas Summer League was not the only event to go down since we last recorded. Three weeks have passed since then, and our previous podcast was all about the DeJounte Murray trade. And general manager Brian Wright, he continued making moves. Now, they weren't huge moves, but let's go ahead and tackle the the news of every one of these moves one by one, and I'll let you choose where you want to start. We have about five things to cover. We won't go too in-depth on any of them, but I'll let you pick where you want to start. Yeah, we'll do some quick hitters. So, uh, I'm going to start first with, I think, the the thing that I kind of... not I didn't campaign for, obviously, but I definitely discussed it a good a good bit. The Spurs rescinded their qualifying offer for Lonnie Walker IV. You know, he ended up signing with the Lakers. The Spurs ended up waving Danilo Gallinari. You know, all-time Spur, legendary Spur Danilo Gallinari. But uh, <laughs> on the Lonnie point, really quick, I think it was, like I mentioned, it was, a, it was a divorce that needed to happen, right? I think both sides would have been better off. Uh, I felt that way for the entirety of last season. And I think Lonnie Walker, you know, best of luck to him in LA. Uh, there's, you know, a lot that you can hope for. And I think a lot of Spurs fans were hoping for out of him uh, as a player. But I think right now, like I mentioned earlier, it's like chili in a pot. It just takes form to the substance, to the, to the thing that it's in. Uh, there's outside of it. It kind of just goes everywhere. Right. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of development needed in his game, but that's not to say he's going to be a bad NBA player or he is a bust or anything like that. I just think, it made a lot of sense for both parties, and hopefully both parties are better after. <laughs> yeah, I, hopefully it is a fruitful divorce for both teams. You know, maybe Lonnie can have a little bit more better looks, I guess, better looks from three. You know, you're playing with LeBron. You're playing with Anthony Davis. Those are two players with tremendous gravity. You're going to get a lot of open shots. Make people pay for it. And I hope he does. I hope he makes people pay for it. I hope he makes the most of this upcoming contract because it's just a one-year deal. And hopefully he can figure things out because – as you mentioned, as we've talked about pretty much all of last season, <laughs> just felt like San Antonio and Lonnie just weren't a match made in heaven. They just weren't right for each other. So we'll move on to the next thing. I think the thing that I want to hit on next is the Spurs bringing back Brett Brown to serve as, as an assistant for Greg Popovich. I believe he was here from 
07 or 08 to about 2013. He knows the system. He's been here before. He was part of a very famous tank job in Philadelphia. <laughs> the process, it got them Joel Embiid. It got them Ben Simmons, which, you know, obviously not all those guys are still together, but perhaps he can be of service as a guy who can help develop young guys because clearly they did a really good job. Obviously getting top picks helps, but you know, just having the top pick doesn't make you a success. Like you got to help develop those guys. You got to get them in the right situations. And I thought he did a pretty good job for the most part when he was in Philadelphia. So maybe he can bring something to the table. And if you have any thoughts on him too, you can share them. But I just think good, good, uh, good reunion for pop and a former assistant doesn't hurt back to bring back some familiarity. Yeah, and hopefully he can bring a good luck charm so the Spurs can be vibing with <laughs> victory. You know what I mean? Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, you know he can bring up bring up a good luck charm. But in all seriousness, uh, yeah, I think it was a, a solid move, especially for a team like you mentioned. He's he's you know known as as, as well for a, a development side of things. Whether regardless of how you feel about Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, very good players, very very good talent. And no matter like I said how you feel about those guys, he knows what he's doing. Very interesting situation in Philadelphia. I don't think that's going to be happening in San Antonio. And uh, yeah, I think if you're a Spurs <laughs> fan, you should be you should be encouraged. You should be happy with that. I would love to actually like interview him though, Noah, and like get an understanding of what his role is going to be. Because uh, <laughs> it's just in San Antonio, dude, you never know. It's not like in football, right, where like you actually know everything that that's going on or a good chunk of it. Because you know, it's football and basketball are just so different, right? And basketball is just so yeah, it's just so different. But Another one, another uh, newsworthy thing I wanted to mention was the Spurs claiming Isaiah Roby off of waivers. I don't know about you, Noah, but I thought this was pretty interesting. Isaiah Roby last year, he, I mean, he, he shot he shot the three ball really well on limited attempts. He, only had, he shot 44% from deep on 2.2 attempts, uh, shot 51.4% uh, from the field, averaged you know 10 and 5 basically. I think it, it was a it was a, a solid little signing. Obviously, you're not expecting him to play you know 40 minutes a night, but I thought it was interesting. I, I didn't see it coming, and. I think, hey, if he can maybe shoot the three a little bit for you on limited attempts, maybe come in to play, you know, 12 to 15 minutes. We all know the Spurs, they have a hole at the backup five spot. You know, I think I think anything can happen, really. I think he plays a little bit more four than five, but who knows, right? The Spurs just need front court help in general. And if Isaiah Roby can, play, you know, be that for, you know, not too many minutes every night, just kind of as a role player, I don't, I don't see the problem with it. Yeah, I like Isaiah Roby quite a bit. Not because I think he's going to be a starter or he's going to be a game changer, but he's definitely one of those guys who, if he's still around when the Spurs have found their guy, I think he's a really solid role player. He's a good spot-up three-point shooter. He's a pretty solid screener. He's only average as a role man. He just doesn't have a lot of lift in the paint. Like He struggles to finish near the rim. I think he only shot 55% in the half court at the rim, which is kind of right around league average. He's not really outstanding in any one area, a term that you like to use. Uh, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. This is kind of the epitome yeah. of that. But I do like him. I think he's a pretty good defender. He's not really like a big-time event creator, but he had about a block and a steal per game. There's not a lot of players who do that in the NBA. So he's really just solid in a lot of areas. And hopefully he kind of brings things along, makes this transition into a rebuild a little bit easier for some of the other guys. And who knows if he plays? Like, Doug McDermott's still on the roster. You've got... Jeremy Sohan, you've got Kato Diop, for, or at least for right now. So, you know, nothing to throw a, you know, a fiesta about in San Antonio, but certainly a, a fine pickup. Another guy who I think probably is a little bit more of a sort of business as usual signing was Gorgie Jeng. They got him for a one-year veteran minimum deal. So he reunites with the Spurs after he was with the Spurs for what, Dame? Like 30 games at the end of a season yeah, a few years ago. Yeah. So not a big deal, just like a vet coming back to probably provide veteran things like leadership, 
uh, tutelage, you know, mentorship, whatever. I mean, he, he's not, to me, a big deal signing. He's not really a win-now yeah. player anymore. He didn't hardly play any minutes in Atlanta. So he's kind of just another guy here. So I'm not... Yeah, he's been he's been chilling, though. He enjoyed Atlanta. Uh, I heard they have good <laughs> wings out there in Atlanta. That's what he was doing because he wasn't playing very much. <laughs> but a guy that is going to play a lot for, for the San Antonio Spurs next season is Keldon Johnson, who they just signed to a four-year $80 million extension. Uh, John Hollinger expects it to be front-loaded, and I think that would actually be the smart thing to do. I think the Spurs extending Keldon is really interesting because the price point could actually pay off really big for San Antonio if Keldon continues to develop, especially off the dribble. We've mentioned before, he doesn't really have a lot of shot versatility, not really much of a shot creator, but I think there is some things to like. And if, hey, maybe he has new life if he's playing the three. You know, if he's as primarily playing the three going forward, who knows what that can do for his game. But I think it's very encouraging to see the, the Spurs buying into a guy like Keldon. And it just, no, I don't, it just, it gives me memories of our first podcast where a very wise man said, DeJounte, <laughs> Derek, and Jakob are now, but the future is really Primo Vassell and Keldon. And my, oh my, does that look better by the day? <laughs> but uh, I think in general, though, man, it was a really, really, you know, I'm, I'm happy for Keldon. Shout out to Keldon Johnson. That was the, I think that was the first professional athlete I ever got to interview. Really cool guy. And uh, yeah, man, I, I'm, I, it's, it makes me really happy seeing, you know, good people win in life. So shout out to Keldon. <laughs> And I think the front-loading thing is interesting because if they do front-load it, basically with the way the CBA works is you can only scale by a certain percentage for the next extension. So if it goes down, it'll be going, I believe, off of the final year, which will cap how much money they can offer. him. Now, obviously, if he ends up just being like a little better than he is and gets really specialized in the areas he's already good at, you're probably not looking at a player who's worth a lot more than that. But if he does end up taking that you know, so to speak, all-star leap that DeJounte Murray had, you may be looking at another situation where it is hard to extend him at a fair point. So you're going to have to let him get to restricted free agency or actually unrestricted free agency before you can sign him again, which obviously at that point, things get tricky, but happy to see Keldon back. He'll have the ball in his hands probably a lot more than he ever has. We'll get to see him experiment a lot. We'll talk more about that on future podcasts. But I think the final bit of news that I actually didn't have in the rundown was Jake Fisher saying that Chip England is going to be leaving San Antonio yeah. after yeah. his contract is over. Now, Dame, he's probably one of the, if not most recognizable assistant coaches in all of the NBA because he is such a highly specialized shooting coach with a track record of so much success. So what are your thoughts on that? We don't have to stay there too long, but what are your thoughts on that? The first thing I tweeted was someone's going to offer him the max. I mean, <laughs> he has to get a max. Look at his track record. I mean, <laughs> only only Jesus did better things than, than, than Chip England, man. I mean, I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you, though, Noah. Seriously, I, I just wasn't expecting that. And especially with a guy like Jeremy Sohan, that was a big deal for for you know someone like me who envisioned you know, the Spurs drafting Sohan or Blake Wesley was, hey, down the line, Chip can, you know, kind of help develop their jump shot, and that'll open things up for you. It, it was like a, it's like the Spurs secret weapon, right? You can draft anyone that has shot issues because Chip England will take care of it. <laughs> well, if he's not there anymore, well, I mean, what, what are we going to, what are you going to do? You know, so 
I, I think it was, it was really interesting. I don't know when his contract's up. I don't know if that information has dropped. No, I, it wasn't public. Yeah. I've been looking everywhere. Yeah, I, I could not find it anywhere. I haven't seen it. But if it's in like two or three years, then that's not as big of a deal because it doesn't affect the short term. But long term, I'm really interested to see how they find another Chip England because he's he's done so many great things for that for that organization. I mean, a, a subtle one is, is Keldon Johnson. Keldon Johnson, regardless of you know not being very versatile in his in his you know shot selection, he, he turned into a fantastic spot up three point shooter. You know what I mean? So I think that's more a testament to Chip England's greatness. And man, hopefully San Antonio can figure something out, man. Yeah, really, the only shooting coach who even has that sort of prestige is Fred Vinson in New Orleans. And honestly, if you're working with like the Zion Williamsons of the world, and you've also got yourself. You know, CJ McCollum there and a plethora of really good young players, including Dyson Daniels, Trey Murphy, uh, Jackson Hayes. Like, you're probably not looking to leave to join San Antonio. So it will be interesting to see where they land and when Chip England is gone. Like, that'll be really vital information once we finally figure that out. But before we close things out, I want to hit on one last thing. And Dame, you know, a lot has been made about the Spurs being able to open up as much as $35.8 million in cap space still this offseason if they renounce their rights to Joe Wieskamp and they waive Trey Jones and Keita Bates-Diop. Pretty much every major free agent, though, is already off the market at this point. But Adrian Wojnarowski had talked about on TV how the Spurs could be this player as a third party to help facilitate a Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving trade. Should the Spurs be interested in latching themselves onto a deal that doesn't land them that superstar? And in your opinion, yes or no, why? Uh, yeah, a million percent. If they're going to get draft picks out of it, a million percent. Like the Russell Westbrook thing in particular, uh, if it's rumored the Spurs are going to get the 2027 first-round pick and it's apparently unprotected or 2029 first-round pick, yeah, you take that all day. Because number one, uh, shout out to Trevor Wright's good friend of the show, one of my favorite people on planet Earth. He said that if you if the Spurs got Russell Westbrook, it would take you out of the sweepstakes, like for for tanking, like for like Victor or, or, or you know Scoot Henderson or whatever the case may be. Respectfully, this team is not good. I don't care. I don't care who you have as the best player, unless unless Michael Jordan and LeBron are, are coming to San Antonio. Russell Westbrook, Brian Westbrook, doesn't matter what Westbrook is not making this team <laughs> anything better than a 14th, 13th seed, right, in the Western Conference. They're not a good team. So if Russell Westbrook comes here, it's going to be entertaining basketball. You're going to have something fun to watch. But they're not going to win any, very many games regardless. And it's not even guaranteed if you do trade for Russell Westbrook that he has to play for you. So I think San Antonio should be all all in on a deal that if they're like the kind of the salary dump team that gets draft picks out of it, man, that's rebuilding one-on-one. What, what, what team wouldn't do that? Or sh- Like, come on, Noah, like, I don't know if I'm crazy because I tweeted that out loud and people like were talking to me like I was crazy. But I was like, man, if I'm if I'm San Antonio, sign me up. Where 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 do I go? I, you know, what, 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 how does this happen? I'll pick up Russ from the airport right now. So <laughs> yeah, that's what I would do personally, though. I tweeted out something similar, and I agree with you 100. percent Like, there's no reason if if you're going to get draft capital, even if it's limited, like even if it's just one year or two years, and it's way down the road. Who cares? It's draft capital. It's unprotected draft capital. That's what you should be after. In regards to Russell Westbrook, people, I think, are acting like the Spurs couldn't do the same thing that the Rockets just did with John Wall, where you either, A, just buy him out in the final year of his deal because who cares? It's not going to impact you long-term financially. It's a one-year deal. Or 
you can sit him at the end of the bench and just let that contract expire. Now, I don't expect the Spurs to do that. They have more respect for guys than that, I think. They're going to look to get you to a better situation, so I would anticipate a buyout. But to be honest, just facilitating that, building good you know, will with other teams, good reputation with other, other teams, doing them a favor, maybe they do you a favor down the line. And I think one of the underrated aspects of this is, look, we've talked about him a lot. I love Doug McDermott. I think he can be a very useful player to a contender or a playoff team, but I think he's virtually useless to a rebuilding team. And he's a guy who's going to be on your books, I believe, another two or three years. If you can move him to, say, the Nets to make it work financially or the or, or the Lakers to make it work financially, you've just got a ton of money off the books. And you could use that in you know maybe a year, two years. Who knows? Like To me, it just makes sense to facilitate something and set yourself up for a rebuild where there's not like awkward questions like, you know, why is Doug McDermott on this roster and he's not playing? Or why is a 30-year-old Doug McDermott playing, you know, 25 minutes per game? Or why is Josh Richardson? Like there are vets that I think are worth keeping around. For example, Josh Richardson. Yeah. I think he's a guy, excellent leader, great locker room presence, played his role, doesn't have a lot of touches, pretty efficient player. And Jakob Pertl, I know people are ready to say, well, he's older than 25 or 26. It's time to get him out the door. But to be honest with you, he makes everyone's job easier. He makes up for defensive mistakes. He was a guy who faced the most shot contests in the NBA, contested the most shots in the NBA last season. And the Spurs had the second most shots attempted against them at the rim. And who was there to clean up the mistakes? It was Jakob Pertl. And for a team that... Look, they're not going to be good, but you can at least be competitive and not have it be debilitating. The losses, Jakob Pertl makes sense. And if you want to move on from Richardson and Pertl or even McDermott at the trade deadline, do it. But I think just to ease guys into this rebuild, you don't want it to be a situation where it's just demoralizing loss after demoralizing yeah. loss every single night. <laughs> you don't want that. Like There is a point to losing, but there is, and I know it sounds kind of counterintuitive and like an oxymoron, but losing the right way. Exactly. And I think these guys kind of help you lose the right way while, while fostering development. So I think those are my last thoughts on that, but great, I'd love to hear any point. final thoughts that you have. No, that was a great point. That was, that, that final sentence was, was beautiful. That's exactly, exactly what I believe. Yocker Pertle. I know I mentioned that. I think that he's probably, he's, you know, I said that he was not going to be the future, but he is a guy that encompasses everything that you want uh, in a rebuild. Josh Richardson, same thing as well. I mean, I'm not going to judge an interview of, you know, for everything, but it seems like Josh Primo really took a lot from Josh Richardson being there. And if a guy like Primo is taking that from, you know, from a guy like that, who knows how the rest of the guys are taking it. So I think both those guys are, are, are true glue guys, true locker room guys that don't require uh, much attention. And they just they complement anything that you need. And so if you're going to you know, stick to guys and have people be here for the long haul, people of the of the ilk of Pirtle and Richardson make a ton of sense. Absolutely. And I think one of the last things that I will say here is at Summer League, I talked to somebody about, you know, what is the value of keeping veterans around for a rebuild? Because it always seems like there's like one or two on every rebuilding team. And the thing that they told me, and I don't know why I'd never thought of it before, because it's actually like a pretty obvious thing. But when you have this many 19, 20, 21 year olds and you're losing games and you're rebuilding and it's like, all right, it's my chance to shine. It's my time to shine. I'm going to go get those buckets. I'm going to be the guy. You're now facing a bunch of young guys who are trying to prove themselves, and it's unchecked. There are, there are egos. 
there are personalities that need to be managed. And I'm not saying anybody's like a, a toxic person on the Spurs roster or any of the young guys are bad people. But naturally, when you have that many young people, it is going to be chaotic. And you need those voices in their ear, voices of reason, people who have been there before, people who have already built routines. And I think that's why it was so important, even though the, the DeJounte era was very short-lived. I think it was very important for guys like DeMar DeRozan, Rudy Gay, Patty Mills to be around because they are your just prototypical professional. They come in there, they have their routines, they know what their job is, they know what role they need to play, and they're going to be mentors for the young guys. So I think that's a really underrated part about keeping these guys around. But I think that's all we have for today. So Dame, thank you for hopping on the mic with me for another pod. So man, it's been three weeks. We won't let it be three weeks again. But go ahead and plug yeah. <laughs> anything you want. Let Spurs fans know where they can follow you on social media and where they can find all of your basketball, football, great day essay content. Yeah, go ahead and follow me on Twitter, y'all, at D.A. Bartonic. That's at D-A-B-A-R-T-O-N-E-K. Uh, the content for me in terms of Twitter and writing has slowed down a bit because, like Noah mentioned, I'm an intern at Ken's 5, and y'all know TV is something that I've always wanted to work in, so i got to make sure I'm giving everything I can to make the you know most out of this opportunity. So shout out to the team over there, too. They're the best team i could ever ask for uh noah shout out to you bro for being patient and you know <laughs> hopping on the pile with me bro it's i love doing this love you know i couldn't ask for a better co-host i appreciate it bro it was dope love the time shout out to pounding the rock jr wilco everyone there keep showing us love <laughs> absolutely yeah and i really do appreciate you dame and really everybody at sb nation pounding the rock getting to do this podcast weekly with you it's honestly it's one of my favorite parts of the week and um yeah just Thought it's it's worth sharing with everybody that, you know, all the people who make this possible, I mean, they're helping support not just, you know, Dame, but also a dream of mine. You know, I'm, I'm trying to, to go places as well. Dame's trying to go places. Clearly, he's he's getting stuff done right now. I feel the same way. I just came back from Las Vegas. He's doing a really big internship with Great Day Essay. So really proud of everybody at Pounding the Rock. But if you want to find me, you can find me at N underscore Magaro, M-A-G. A-R-O on Twitter. You can find both me and Dame on Pounding the Rock. But thanks again for joining us and thanks to everybody who tuned in for this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. We've got an amazing staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock, including Dame, who do a wonderful job of keeping everybody up to date with their favorite teams. So check our stuff out. But until next time, Spurs fans, take care. <laughs>